Every time you drive your car, you're hauling around a gold mine. I'm talking about all the data in your telematic system. That's basically a wireless transmitter that never turns off. It constantly sends data to your car's manufacturer. It does a lot of great stuff. I mean, it lets you know how your vehicle is doing. It tells you when you need maintenance. But a lot of people don't know about their car's computing power. According to McKenzie, the modern car has about 100 million lines of programming code. That's incredible. But McKenzie and company also says that modern cars process a ton of data every single hour, up to 25 gigabytes of data. In fact, let me put that number into perspective. That's enough storage space for almost 6,000 songs. It's enough for eight high-definition feature-length films. Every hour, your car processes enough data to store the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series, in HD, of course, and I'm including Freddy versus Jason. And as you probably realize, vehicles are only getting better and more tech savvy. Engineers are working hard to outdo themselves. Self-driving cars are, they're on their way. Basically, vehicle connectivity is more widespread than ever before. Modern cars, they come with a ton of new features. They also come with, well, privacy problems. Now, in the last episode of this series, we dove into your car's data. Law enforcement officials are putting this all to good use. They're already diving into your car's telematic system. One department cracked a cold case. A secret hidden inside the victim's car helped them find their murderer. In this episode, we're diving into the dynamic details. What rules are in place to protect you? How can you keep your car's secret safe? We're also going to talk about the big movers and shakers in this industry. And this is Tech You Should Know. I'm Kim Commando. And today you're going to learn why data mining is legal and why your information is so valuable. We're also touching upon true crime. For example, did you know that abusers can use cars to hurt their intimate partners? There's some scary stuff you may not know about. You're also going to learn the surprising way that car makers are holding each other accountable. If you ever wonder how this tracking is even possible, well, you're going to get all the dirty details. So stay tuned. We're teaching you all about the digital frontier that most folks barely know a thing about. And by the end of this podcast, you will be an expert in car data. You will. You're going to have a bunch of shocking stuff that you can share with your family members and friends, and they're going to be super impressed. So buckle up. Stay right where you are. We've got a wild ride in store for you. Welcome back to Tech You Should Know. Uh, Today I was reading the New York Times, and I came across an article that said modern cars are basically smartphones on wheels. Yeah, you know what? I've said that for years. Cars know how much we weigh, which means they can keep track of your gains and losses. That's right. And you thought you could keep that last meal a secret, huh? Our cars know where we live, how many kids we have, how fast we drive, how hard we brake. If you connect a phone to your car, you can bet that data is transferring over. Your car knows who you call and text. Reporters often compare cars to cell phones when they're talking about this. It's an easy comparison to make. They're both essential tools that we use every day. They both track us, but cars have so many more sophisticated sensors. They make the phones really look like computerized toys. I'm happy to welcome Chelsea Colbert to this podcast. She works with the Future of Privacy Forum. She's a lawyer who leads their mobility and location data portfolio. Now, Chelsea, let's talk more about cars versus cell phones. Which device collects more data on its users? So right now, again, it depends on the car. It depends on the driver. 
So connected cars and cars with more automated features are very different from the cars of years ago. Absolutely. You can barely compare the two. I remember my first car. Oh, my gosh. It was a gold Pontiac Sunbird. Well, I liked the car in the beginning, but then, well, not so much. And nothing was tech about it at all. I don't even think the radio was. Nowadays, cars come with incredible features, sleek designs, and of course, a whole lot of tracking. But if you're driving an older car, maybe you don't have to worry as much. That would make sense because it doesn't have all the tech. Many people still drive cars that require you to connect a cord. And then when we think about more newer cars, there's more connectivity options. So when we think about some of the data that's collected or generated by a car, that includes location, what you might listen to, your phone contact, other apps like Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, uh, data about the car's operation, as well as external information. And this is picked up through the sensors and the cameras that are placed on the outside of the car. People don't often think about all the sensors in their car, that's for sure. And they're always on. They're always learning more about you. Now, I want to get a little into the weeds here. I want to help people understand just how this is possible. So when you're on the web, we have cookies that track you. And when you're on your phone, well, there are cookies and also certain apps that follow your activity, even after you close them. Facebook, oh my gosh, they want to know as much about you as possible. It helps them send you and sell specific ads that meet your interests. So, Chelsea, tell me a little bit about how your car is tracking you and get into the weeds. Is there, say, a car version of web cookies? One way to think about online cookies is, you know, it's tracking your digital movement. So when we think about in the car space, it's more what's your physical movement, but it could also be your digital movement. So again, those two worlds are combining together. So I think if we're thinking about the digital movement, it could be a useful way to think about it because cars are inherently location-based objects. Newer models of cars can track the location for car repair, maintenance, predictive car health. But again, a modern car is much more than a smartphone. And just like your phone tracks your location, so does your car. Yes, but your car and your phone work in totally different contexts. Chelsea, earlier we were talking about all the different sensors in your cars. Let's just circle back to that for just a second. What else should people know? So this collects things like weather conditions, lane markings, surrounding traffic, pedestrians, things of that nature. There's also sensors and cameras inside of the vehicle for different purposes, and that includes microphones, cameras, and other devices that could record information about the driver and other occupants. We all know that police can look into cars to find more about a crime. They will look at timestamps to see what a driver was doing, say, during a robbery. They can tell when the driver door was open. If the passenger's door opened at the same time, they'll know that there was an accomplice. Car cameras are also a major deal. What if a hacker broke into them? Okay, we've already seen news about something like this. Someone 10 miles away can break into your car through a laptop. They can watch you through the camera. They'd even turn on the radio and crank it up to full volume. They can even start the windshield wipers, so you can't really see where you're going. It can get pretty frightening. The bottom line, there are just a ton of ways that your car can track you. If it has a microphone, make sure you don't call your buddy and ask for any, uh, say, uh, illegal substances. Or if you do, get out of the car first. I'm just kidding, of course. But Chelsea, your car collects an incredible amount of data. 
Let's get more into the specifics. Cars also can collect payment transaction information, and this is to allow you to, if you're if you're on the road, you want to pay for gas or order food while you're in your vehicle. And like I mentioned before, it can also include biometric information if the driver chooses to set that up through profiles or if there's a driver monitoring system. Okay, expand on that. What's the big picture there? So where I'm going with this is that modern cars are much more than smartphones on wheels. And we often hear that analogy that a car is like a smartphone on wheels, but I would say that they're much more. Many of these examples that I gave, it's similar to what's collected by a smartphone, but I think we need to consider the context. Yeah, I get it. Cars also can collect payment transaction information, and this is to allow you to, if you're if you're on the road, you want to pay for gas or order food while you're in your vehicle. And like I mentioned before, it can also include biometric information if the driver chooses to set that up through profiles or if there's a driver monitoring system. Definitely. They're just so different that you can't really compare them. It seems like most people know how much their phones track them, but they aren't as aware as their car's tracking habits. I have to guess that the general population is just, I guess, naive about all this. So I think that there really is so much data being collected about us on a daily basis from our phones, the websites we use, the cameras and sensors on the streets we walk down and in our cars. So it can be overwhelming. Um, so, you know, we have to give consumers credit for that. It's, it's okay to be overwhelmed. There is a lot going on. I think that one way that I want to highlight in particular where cars could be a security threat, which might not be fully appreciated, is in their use in intimate partner violence. Now, there are people out there who use cars as weapons. Imagine you break up with someone. You think you've wiped your hands clean. You try to get a fresh start. Then your ex comes to your workplace, your friend's house, that new cafe you just discovered. It starts to feel unsafe wherever you go. Why is this? How does your ex know where you're going? We get calls like this on the Kim Commando show. And it's always because of stalkerware. These programs are specifically designed to track your physical location. And unfortunately, there are a ton of stalker apps that anyone can download. A while ago, I wrote about a popular app that uses GPS to track a phone's location. A stalker just needs to tap the download button to track your smartphone. Then they get a full log of all the calls sent and received. The app even shows text messages and browser history. Now, luckily, Google and Apple are pretty hard on stalkerware. They've shut down a lot of invasive apps, but many are still up there for the download. And the companies use a clever trick. They say that they're child safety apps. It gives them plausible deniability. And that means stalkers have a golden opportunity to harass victims. But stalkers have other ways to spy on you. They can put a hidden GPS tracker on your car. Basically, just remember, there are a lot of layers to this issue. So, Chelsea, stalkerware, how do cars lead to intimate partner violence? The term stalkerware is something that we commonly associate with apps that are secretly installed on someone's phone so they can be tracked by their partner. This can also apply to cars when those apps integrate with the vehicle system. So car owners can use these apps for really beneficial purposes to start the car remotely, adjust temperatures, track locations. Some cars offer these services for families, for example, so they can let the parents track where their children are going for, you know, safety purposes. There's a ton of controversy swirling around this. On one hand, you want to make sure that your family members are safe. Yes. 
But on the other hand, abusers can easily turn a helpful app into a weapon. It's a horrible situation. These are some amazing technologies that can help save lives, but designers really need to think about the potential ways that their work can be misused. And I think that automakers, technology companies should always ask about what are the unintended consequences in the design and development stages and should be thoughtful about how they allow individuals to control the collection, use and deletion of car data. And if you don't look out for these unintended consequences, you could leave a door open for abusers. That's such a tricky line to cross. I mean, on one hand, you're creating this amazing high tech tool. But on the other hand, you're giving a stalker an open door to harass someone who wants nothing to do with them. So what advice would you give these tech companies? What can they do to prevent this? I think one thing is that cars can log past locations, past phone calls. Drivers should always be given notice about this, that this is happening. And also the option to easily delete the locations visited instead of bulk deletions of all locations. So it shouldn't be an all or nothing approach to data control, um, because this, in this specific example, could raise red flags if someone is in an abusive relationship. Really, this advice can apply to any inventor, anyone who's designing location-based technology. It's not just specific to cars. This isn't specific to cars. It's an issue with all technology, um, but it can be applied in the car context. I think it's Maybe not something that um, we're paying attention to as much as we should be. This is a tough topic to talk about, but it's just so important. Coming up, we're going to be looking at the future. How is it legal for the police to comb through your car's data? How can you protect your car's computer from being used against you? And what does the future of car data even look like? Well, I have a shocking statistic that you're just not going to believe. And we have that and a whole bunch more right after the break. Well, when I read this, I was just astounded. It's from a report from McKenzie. It's all about the monetization of car data. So the numbers are astronomical. I hope you're sitting down. Okay. In just nine years, industry players could make as much as $750 billion. Wow. A year. That's right. $750 billion in nine years just from monetizing car data. Do you know what you could do with that money? Well, you could pay off Tom Brady's yearly salary for 30,000 years. You could send every 17 and 18-year-old person in America to a state university for four years. And I'm including room and board. It's really hard for me to put that number into perspective because it's really so big. But anytime money is involved, you have to follow the money train. So the next time you drive, give your car a little pat because uh, it's worth a lot of money. Well, at least the data is. So, Chelsea, let's dive into the legality of all this. There aren't any federal laws on what automakers can do with our driving data. Right. So in the United States, there is currently no federal comprehensive privacy law like other countries have. Um, We could see um, this year. Hopefully, Um, we could see automated vehicle regulation get passed. Do you have any idea what those laws would actually look like? This could have a section about privacy. Um, If you look at previous bills, that has been the case. We may also soon see a U.S. federal privacy law. Um, As well, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, or NISTA for short, They're currently requesting comments on the development of a framework for automated driving system safety. 
Okay, some background on that. In November of 2020, the U.S. Department of Transportation asked people to send in their feedback. They asked for public comments. And what did they want people to talk about? Their framework for automated driving system safety. Basically, the agency is trying to balance people's privacy concerns with the development of automated vehicles. It's a huge issue. That's why we've dedicated two podcast episodes to it. Now, the rulemaking will address people's concern about safety and privacy without crippling the engineers who are designing all these AI vehicles. And as you can imagine, people have a ton of concerns, especially because of the 2018 accident. Maybe you've heard about it. If not, here's a refresher. What happened was this. An Uber autonomous vehicle was driving about 40 miles per hour when it struck a pedestrian, 49-year-old woman, Elaine Herzberg, on Sunday night. Uh, a safety driver was behind the wheel, but the vehicle, a Volvo SUV, was traveling in autonomous mode at the time. And the police department says that it showed no signs of stopping. Now, the National Transportation Safety Board is conducting an investigation into the accident. That clip was from CNBC. So self-driving cars have long been a thorn in the side of lawmakers. I mean, how do you regulate something so complicated? Well, as Chelsea said, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration is on the case. Wow, that was a long name, isn't it? The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Yeah, you know it's something to do with the government. Anyway, I've got some good news for you. It's not too late to share your thoughts. Anyone can go online, read the framework. You can see exactly what the Department of Transportation plans to do about all this automated driving safety. And if you want to share your thoughts, go to the Fed Register's website. You can play a part in all this historical framework. Now, Chelsea, I haven't read through it, but I'm sure you did. What do you think about it? If you read through this, you can see that there, this will have implications for data use um, and ethical data use. Expand a little bit about the implications. So this doesn't mean there are no privacy protections. There, there are things on the horizon. And some things that currently exist now is the first is that 20 automakers have pledged to meet or exceed the privacy commitments that they've made in the automated consumer privacy protection principles. Yeah, some big names have pledged to protect their drivers' personal information. I'm talking Maserati, Honda, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Ferrari. The list goes on. This was back in 2014. At that time, 20 automakers pledged to empower their customers. They they said that we promise to inform drivers about the type of information the car collects, as well as how those findings are used. They also committed to get consent before using driver information for marketing. All right. What does that mean? You have to explicitly give them permission before they can sell your geolocation or biometric data to third parties. That's why you should always read through all the paperwork when you buy a new car, because there's just a ton of information in there. You can learn all about the specific data your car is collecting. Plus, depending upon your make and model, you may be able to reject the request to sell your data. The bottom line, I know it's annoying, but you have to read the fine print. So, Chelsea, this auto alliance is a huge step in the right direction, but there has to be a catch. You can find this online at autoalliance.org. So the catch is that this only applies to automakers that have committed to the principle. Um, and so that's important to keep in mind. Because remember when I mentioned about the ecosystem, there are a lot more players in here than just the automakers. But this is one important step. Just a quick refresher. In part one of this podcast series, we talked about the ecosystem. Okay, here's what that refers to. Your car collects data on you. We learned all about that 
But where does the data go? Short answer, it depends. Are you using a third-party service with your car? That could be building a profile on you. Did you sign away your privacy when you went to the dealership for maintenance? There are a lot of players in this game. Think insurance companies, repair shops, and other third parties. And it all depends on the type of car that you drive and the contracts that you sign. And a lot of people will send their car in for repairs and sign every little paper that comes their way. Yeah, I know. You don't want to read anything else, but you kind of have to because you could be signing away your privacy. Speaking of which, Chelsea, let's circle back to security. You were just telling us about these automakers coming together and they're holding each other accountable. That's great. But what are their goals? This uh, privacy principles has three major commitments. The first is transparency. Uh, Second is affirmative consent for sensitive data. Um, and that's defined as location, biometric, and driver behavior. And the third is limited sharing with government agencies and law enforcement. Is this just one-off, or are there other privacy laws specifically for cars? The U.S. also has sectoral privacy laws, such as the biometric privacy laws that we're seeing in some states. Some states have their own privacy laws, most uh, famously is California, but there are other states making a lot of moves as well to try to enact their own privacy laws. Washington state is one example. Okay, so some states have these laws and others don't. Obviously, it's a tricky subject. So what's going to happen in the future? It means that there's a patchwork of privacy protections for consumers, as well as a patchwork of obligations for automakers and car tech companies. But bring it down to my level. How is this going to affect me? This means that Americans could be receiving varying privacy protections or be confused about what privacy protections they have, because, you know, it could depend on the sexer, which state they live in, and so on. Yeah, it's not very clear. You've got to do the research. It also means that uh, there's a patchwork for, like I said, industry. What about this patchwork? This could mean that companies don't get to realize the full potential of data use and sharing. What's the impact of all that? This does have benefits for industry and the economy and consumers, too. Yeah, I get it. Another thing to note in this space is that privacy laws typically apply to certain types of data. So in order to find out what types of data falls under privacy, you have to pull out your car's manual and start looking for definitions. So whether it's called personal information, um, personally identifying information or personal data, um, this really matters. And in the car space especially, it's not necessarily the case that all of the data collected and generated by the car will fall under a privacy law. So some of the data collected isn't considered worthy of protection. What? Depending on how the covered data is defined, some data is clearly personal information, but other types of data might not be so clear-cut. And this is really an evolving space in the car data privacy space and something that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah, that's something I'm keeping an eye on too. Now, coming up, we're going to be looking at cars of the future. Yes, what will tomorrow's cars look like compared to today's vehicles? Will manufacturers find even more ways to spy on us? We're also going to break down the legality of police rooting through your car's computers. So stick around for the finale. We've got a lot more to come.
Okay, welcome back. We're going to jump right into the grand finale. So in part one, we talked about a group of detectives who cracked a cold case. They combed through a dead man's car data and they found his killer. If they hadn't looked to the computer, who knows what could have happened? Maybe his murder would have walked free. Maybe something else would have happened. Well, this is an inspiring story. We live in a really complicated world, and a lot of people are worried that this could lead to more invasions of our privacy. And let's talk about forensic investigators. They're using car data to find suspects' location history, as well as their top speeds and more. But what exactly is the legality of all this? Yeah, yeah, this is a really good question. And and you're right, I'm seeing a lot about this quite recently as well. So generally speaking, your car data could be shared to comply with a lawful government request. It seems like they would need a warrant for all of this. Generally, a warrant is required to access certain car data. So the history of this in the United States, it's all about the Fourth Amendment, the guarantee to reasonable searches and seizures. And someone can challenge the legality of a, of a search under the Fourth Amendment if they have a subjective expectation of privacy and an objective one. Okay, define exactly what that means. So that means that society can recognize that there is that reasonable expectation of privacy. Now, in the car space, there's a tension because traditionally we might consider the physical car and it travels in public spaces and its occupants and its contents are in plain view. So how could there be a subjective or an objective expectation of privacy? Yeah, that's a common question people have. But again, we know from our conversation that cars are much more than meets the eye. You know, they're more than a smartphone on wheels. And generally, there is a reasonable expectation of privacy in your smartphone. And a warrant is required to search its context. So the vehicle exception, which is what I alluded to before, that the car is in public spaces, the contents are in plain view, it doesn't quite stretch over to include modern cars. Certainly there are implications, Chelsea, right? Which in this vehicle exception would only apply to the physical searches, not the digital searches. So all this to say, the case law on this, the law about this is a bit unsettled. It depends on the state as well as the type of data and the situation. But I would say, generally speaking, a warrant is required, and I would expect much more discussion, more litigation on this topic over the next several years. And speaking of the future, let's talk more about the cars of tomorrow. Modern cars collect a huge amount of data. I imagine that future cars will collect even more. I mean, car tech is always advancing. I'm willing to bet that they're going to collect even more data than before. Right. There's a lot of really interesting information about this. And I'm, I'm sure you've, you've seen some of the following that today it's estimated that cars generate about 25 gigs of data every hour. But future cars, especially if they're automated vehicles, they'll generate 3,600 gigabytes every hour or 30 terabytes every day. That's incredible. Compare that to what I said earlier in this episode. Every hour, your car processes enough data to store the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. That goes for most modern cars. But as the vehicles become more and more advanced, they're going to process more and more information than ever before. I don't know about you, but it's kind of hard for me to take these numbers and put it into everyday practical terms. So I did a little bit of that just so I could think about this more. And usually streaming a two-hour movie in the high definition is about 4.2 gigs. Uh, If you're gaming online for an hour, it's 43 megabytes. Browsing through about 60 web pages is 140 megabytes. 
So if we think about that and then compare it to the car context, definitely, there's definitely a huge difference. And in fact, many people predict that soon, if not now, the data that will come from vehicles will be more valuable than the vehicle itself. That's such a bombshell. I need to repeat this. Chelsea, you just said, quote, many people predict that the data from your car could even be more valuable than the vehicle itself. Now, that goes back to what we were saying earlier, that by the year 2030, industry professionals could see a global revenue of $750 billion. That's just from selling the data in a car. And I think that's a really huge consideration to think about. And you're right, the privacy implications are vast. But I think one thing that automakers, car technology companies, tier one suppliers and other parties, what they should really think about in all of this is designing and developing their products and services with privacy in mind. In the European Union, under the GDPR, this is a legal requirement and it's known as data protection by design and default. So over here in North America, we usually consider this privacy by design. So I think that's one key takeaway for industry. Speaking of takeaways, if there's one thing you learn from this two-part podcast series, that's it. Always read all the paperwork before you buy a new car. Tell you what kind of data that you're giving away. And what about the rest of the players in the spectrum, like insurance companies, repair shops? Yeah, you got to read the fine print before you sign away your privacy there too. And depending upon your car's make and model, you might be able to opt out of all the data collection. Plus, if you ever rent a car, be careful about connecting your phone to it. Yeah, some high-tech cars let you transfer your driver profile to similar models. But before you ever return a car, just wipe all that data away. Otherwise, someone could see all your private data. Or worse, they might even try to sell it. Who knows? As we learned today, your car's data is incredibly profitable. And I'd like to give a big thank you to Chelsea Colbert for coming on the show today. She taught us some really shocking stuff. And before I want to let you go, hey, I have some final thoughts for you. You know, when I picture freedom, I often jump in my car and I get on the open road. And when you want some time for yourself, maybe you do the same. You hop into your car. It's a great thought. I can go anywhere I want to go. I can get away from other people and be in my own bubble and play my own music or listen to my own podcast. And it's no wonder why we think that way. Cars are a symbol of American culture. How many paintings, how many movies have you seen of just people breezing down the street with their hair streaming behind them? But it's not all fun and games. Yeah, the car was an incredible invention. I love cars. You know that. But cars come at a cost more often than ever before. The cost is our personal information. You've probably spent thousands of dollars on your car, tens of thousands, from repairs to paint jobs. But you don't earn a cent when your driving data is sold. That information doesn't belong to you. It goes straight to your car's maker. The bottom line You're never alone in your car. Even if you're behind the wheel and there's not a soul sitting near you, your car is tracking every move you make. It knows your precise location. It stores your phone's ID, the people you call, the apps you open. It knows your acceleration and braking style. If your internet connection is always on, then your car maker has a detailed profile on your driving patterns. Now, there is some good news. Depending upon your car, you may be able to opt out. You just have to know that it's an option. And just keep that in mind. Once again, I want to thank Chelsea Colbert for giving me the opportunity to talk about cars. 
And hopefully you learned at least one thing. And a special shout out goes to Serena O'Sullivan. She's fabulous for her speedy behind the scenes reporting. She's a lifesaver. And of course, I have to thank the mighty Mike James. He's our wizard behind the curtain. He keeps everything running in podcast land. I love you, Mike. You know that. And if you like this episode, do us a favor. Leave us a great five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. That helps more people find our podcast because we get to the top of the charts. And to stay up to date, be sure to check out our website, commando.com. You can also join the thriving Commando community. We don't track you. We don't serve you ads. But there's Q&A message boards, blogs you can listen to, my three-hour radio show, watch the show, chats, and a whole bunch more. And you can get a 30-day free trial over at getkim.com to the Commando community. No promo code needed. That's getkim.com. I'm Kim Commando, and thanks for joining me. Really appreciate you being here. I'm driving out, and I'm riding high.